Good morning. Well, this is no pressure now. I mean, if I can't preach after all that, then I'm in trouble. Just so you know, if you're new here and you don't know, I'm I'm worship pastor here, and I have the privilege of overseeing worship ministry for both of our campuses. And so it is a rare occasion when I get to open the Word and teach. And so what that means for me is I get heckled before I ever start. So I wish you could know the number of people that come by, like my buddy Wayne came up to me just a second ago and said, hey man, you going to preach out of the Bible today? <laughs> I told him I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it. The passage is a little convicting for me today, but uh, you know, when, when they asked me to preach, I was like, yes, I love that because I love the way that it stretches me. And so I said, what passage would you like for me to speak on? Well, so we're doing a, a series on James. We want you to pick up where Daniel left off last week, and that was James chapter 1, starting with verse 19. And I looked at it, and my heading in my Bible, probably the same as yours, it's listening and doing. I said, oh, okay, cool. I remember this passage. And then, you know, right out of the gate, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. And I thought, ah, ha, ha, ha. Nice. I have to teach on being quick to listen and slow to speak. And so I think what's happened here, because uh, Scott told you that we grew up together, I think what's happened here is our campus pastor and our teaching pastor have come together and they found a subtle but effective way <laughs> to send me a message, okay? That, that's what I think is happening here this morning, but I'm honored to have the chance to share with you this morning. And so we're going to continue where Daniel left off. We're going straight through James uh, over the next few months this summer. And it's a great book. As, as Daniel told us last week, James, the younger brother of Jesus, right? He is the head of the Jerusalem church. And he is writing this letter to folks that proclaim to be followers of Christ. Okay, that's kind of what this letter is all about. And he's not writing as a moralist or someone who's trying to give us a list of things that we need to do to just have a better life. No, he's writing from the perspective of he has a relationship with Jesus. And so right out of the gate before we ever get started here this morning, I want you to know that's what this is all about. It's about having a relationship with Jesus. And the things that we're going to talk about today, they're going to help us live a life that honors and pleases God. So that's what it's all about, a life that is lived in Christ. So let's jump right in, all right? James chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 19, and I'm going to read all the way through 27, and then we'll, we'll come back and hit some points here, all right? So listening and doing, verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, 
to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Well, there's not much in that passage, huh? I, f- I think I will be done by the time the concert starts tonight, um, for sure. But I looked at this and I was like, well, maybe I need to break this up and just kind of do a little chunk of it. But there's so much good stuff in this passage that I couldn't do that. So what we're going to do is we're going to go verse by verse and we're going to grab some things that James is trying to communicate and maybe they will help us along the way. So I've got about six things that we need to, to learn today, all right? And I, I will, I'll try to get through them quickly, I promise, all right? So let's, let's look at number one. Right out of the gate, we must be good listeners. Did you hear me? <laughs> we must be good listeners. Carol got it now. Okay, that's good. It's good. <laughs> Ten-second delay. It's all right. Verse 19, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. This is James' first assault on the destructiveness of an uncontrolled tongue. He's going to come back to it over and over again throughout the book, but this is where he he starts. And he says the key to it is to silence it. So this is convicting for me. I just want, want to say again, I have not always been one that has been quick to listen. I have been quick to speak and slow to listen. And that's difficult. And sometimes when I've spoken out first, guess what? My anger comes out. That's why he tells us to be slow to become angry as well. Now, we walk through things on a daily basis, right? There's trials that you go through, things that irritate you. And in our world, those trials and the things that we're walking through, they can make us actually want to do the opposite of what James is instructing us to do here. We do speak quickly and we speak in anger And honestly, when we do that, we take anger out on those who don't deserve it. Have you ever been in a situation where something happened at work and you're irritated about that? You got angry about that. And you went home and maybe a spouse or a kid did something that was just a little bit left of where they should have been. And all of a sudden you blew up at them. I know that's happened to me as a dad and as a husband I took the anger out on someone who did not deserve because I didn't slow down, because I didn't close my mouth. Really, really difficult passage for us. I want you to think about this. How many disagreements have you been in that are due to poor listening? That's it. That maybe the last fight that you've been in with a friend, was it because you didn't listen? Now this, husbands and wives, woo. A lot of fights are because we don't listen, right? Kara's nodding her head back there in the back. (laughs) That's right. We have to learn to listen. That shows care. Here's the thing. If we are quick to speak and we are slow to listen, the danger there is that sin is aroused. All right? That's why James is telling us we have to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And we have to listen well as Christians to both people and to God. Verse 19 is talking to us about people. And here in just a few minutes, we're going to talk about listening to God as well. And we have to do all of that well. Listening to others is a way for us to rid ourselves of anger and arrogance that keep us from doing God's word that is taught to us in Scripture. Bottom line, good listening 
helps administer God's love to other people. It's really important. We have to be good listeners. We must be good listeners. Number two, we must avoid selfish anger. Verse 20, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So the kind of anger that we're talking about here is anger that erupts or when our egos are bruised. I'm hurt. Nobody's listening to me. Nobody cares what I think. This is not the kind of anger that's present when sin has occurred or when there's been um, injustices done. That's righteous anger. That's not what James is talking about here. This, the kind of anger we're talking about here is the kind that erupts when we don't win an argument and we get angry, when we feel offended. Selfish anger never helps anybody. And I want to tell you, I have a hard time with this. And I want to ask you a question. Maybe, maybe in this room there, there are more of us than we would like to admit that are maybe we're angry deep down inside. There's deep-seated anger that's going on. And we think to ourselves, ah, well, I can keep it hidden. Nobody will really know. But here's the thing. In my life, I have found that hidden anger or hidden bitterness or resentment, it never stays hidden. It always comes out some way, and it hurts somebody. So you have to be careful about selfish anger. This passage tells us that this anger is not pleasing to God. We can't live the righteous life that he's called us to if we are angry people. And James is specifically talking about anger that works itself out through our mouths, right? Hurtful words. So it's not just the outbursts, it's that deep-seated anger. And verse 19 pointed to the fact that if we listen, we can have ministry with others. Verse 20 points to the need for us to release anger so that we can carry out that ministry. And then verse 21 begins to tell us how, all right? Now we're going to get to the meat of this passage. Number three, we must humbly accept the word, okay? So we got to be good listeners. We must avoid selfish anger. We must humbly accept the word. Verse 21, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. We must get rid of all moral filth. Okay? And that's real easy to say. Yeah, okay. I'm going to get rid of all moral filth. All right? Well, first of all, we have to be able to recognize it. And honestly, we have a hard time with that sometimes. We've got to be able to recognize what moral filth is. It's sin. It's the anger that we just talked about. It's the outbursts. It's harsh words. It's pride unfaithfulness. We got to get rid of that stuff. We have to repent of it. You have to recognize it and repent of it. James tells us, get rid of that and humbly accept the word. Now, we were on um, vacation this week in northwest Oklahoma. And um, it is way different than Nashville, Tennessee. I just want you to know. All right. Uh, I'm a, I'm a suburb guy. I grew up in the suburbs. And northwest Oklahoma is thousands and thousands of acres of farmland. And my in-laws are wheat farmers and corn farmers. And so we always have a great time going out there. But when we go to the farm, my kids basically wake up in the morning, go outside, and we don't see them again for a long time. And when they come back in, they're, they're usually pretty dirty in some way, shape, or form. But something funny happened this week, and I, I love when God does this. He gives me 
a real-life example of this passage. James tells us to get rid of that filth, right? So my father-in-law, he is, I mean, he is, he's just a man's man, and he's a farmer, all right? He, he knows how to fix everything, all kinds of stuff, moves at a little bit different pace than I do, but he's an awesome guy. He took my son Luke and his cousin Nicholas out into the cornfield to work on an irrigation system, all right? Which I was glad he didn't take me because I don't know how to do any of that anyway. And, and I usually, he usually asks me if I know what that is, and then I have to lie and tell him, yes, of course, I know what that is. I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't lie that much to him. But um, <laughs> he takes them out there, and they, they work on the irrigation system. They get it going. They go back to the truck, try to start the truck and nothing. And so that's bad news for me. I got to call somebody if that happens, right? Not Gary, my father-in-law. Gary lays down on the ground, gets under the truck, starts working on something. The boys are sitting in the truck. And sure enough, a few minutes later, he gets it fixed. And we don't know all this because I'm still at the house. Uh, I'm at the house. It's about lunchtime. They come back in. The boys come in. They grab their food. They sit down and start eating. And, and Gary walks in and, and Gary doesn't have a shirt on, okay? Um, which is not normal. Gary doesn't normally walk in the house without a shirt on. So he comes in, and me being the one that's slow to speak in the house, I, I say, ah, Gary, I think you lost your shirt. And he says, yep, truck broke down. I had to get under the truck and fix it, and my shirt got a little muddy. So I took it off. I was like, ah, uh, that's so manly. It really is. It is. And so my mother-in-law's sitting by me over here, and we're at the table eating lunch, and, and he's over here in the kitchen, and he starts to grab food, and he turns around, and she can see that on the back of his pants, there's mud everywhere. He doesn't know it. And so she looks at him and says, Gary Bayless, don't you sit down anywhere in this house. If you're going to eat right now, you get out on a porch. I was like, whoa. And he's like, what's wrong? There's no mud on my pants. She said, no, you're muddy all over. And I don't want that mud in my house. Don't track it all in here. You get out on the porch right now. <laughs> and I got to laughing because I'm thinking, oh, man, this is awesome. She loves him. You know, it's not because she doesn't love him. She just doesn't want mud in her house, right? Now, we've all been there, too. When I was a kid, like, did you ever end up on your porch in your skivvies because your mom told you, get out of my house and get those clothes off, right? Like, we do that to kids all the time. You can't come in there. That's why we made mud rooms, right? Like, that's why we have mud rooms in the house so that you can keep the mud there. This is what James is talking about here. Take off that filth. Get rid of it. And put on fresh clothes. What is that? James tells us it's humbly accept the word of God, which is the gospel. So we get rid of the filth. We put on the word of God. That's the only thing that can save us. That's what the end of verse 21 tells us. So we got to humbly accept it. And that simply means that we're fully submitted to God's word instead of our selfish desires. So we have to be good listeners. We must avoid selfish anger. We must humbly accept the word. And then the fourth thing that James tells us is we must take action. Verse 22 through 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who, intently, who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed 
in what he does. We must take action. So James is talking to the Jerusalem church, and in James's view, he has a group of people there that know a lot, but they don't do a lot. They've heard the word, but they are not doing it. James tells us that hearing the word without doing it is self-deception. And that is so convicting for all of us here in this place this morning. If we don't do what the word says, we are basically treating the word as if it's useless. Now think about that. It's kind of an uncomfortable statement for me. If I don't do what the word says, then I'm treating it as if it were useless. Hmm. It's uncomfortable. James uses mirrors as an example. Um, People in that day were generally unaware of what they looked like. That is not true for us, okay? That's not true. Now, all you got to do is look at social media and see all the selfies that are posted. People taking pictures of themselves or taking pictures of themselves in a mirror, right? That's what they do. We're kind of aware of what we look like, all right? Like when I got up this morning, I looked in the mirror, and before I left my house, I had to feel good enough about that what I was seeing in the mirror to walk out the door, all right? Some of y'all might have, should have spent a little bit more time in front of the mirror. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. But no, that's why we do it, right? That's why we get in front of the mirror. Ladies, the makeup goes on. Why? Because you want your best appearance, right? You want to know what you look like, know what you're presenting out there. That was not the case for the folks in this time. If they had access to a mirror, it might have been some rough metal, and it didn't really give them a good visual of what they looked like. It didn't leave a lasting impression in their hearts and minds of what they looked like. And that's exactly what James is calling us to in this passage. If we, that, that's what we're like if you, don't, if you hear the word and you don't do the word. If you look at the word and you kind of measure your life up against it, but you don't do it, James is saying, we're like the people that look in the mirror and then forget what we look like, all right? That's hard for us to grasp because, because of the access to the mirrors. If you walk around this building, there's mirrors even outside the bathroom. And, and I've seen some of you looking in the glass in the doors, making sure you look good before you step in, all right? That's, that's not what was happening back then. So think about that. If you, if you hear the word and you don't do it, then it's like you looked in the mirror and forgot immediately what you saw, all right? So for us this morning, maybe the application of that point is that we come here each and every week and we hear God's word. And maybe we hear something that's like, ah, oh, yeah, I should do that in my life. Uh, that's a good point. That's therapeutic for my soul. I like the music. I like, I like the teaching. That's good. But as soon as we get outside those doors, we forget it. And, or even worse, we set it aside. We discard it until we come back next week. We hear the word, but our lives don't reflect it. If you merely hear the word and yet have a lifestyle that is characteristically against doing what you hear, you have not truly received the gospel. I love what Mark Driscoll says. He says the Christian life is like two pedals on a bike. You got to know the word and do the word. Know the word, do the word. And he gives a great example. If I tell my kids, hey, I need you to take out the trash, and I walk out of the room, and let's say I come back in an hour, and 
I say, hey, kids, did you take out the trash? And Luke, being the spokesman in my family, I have four kids. He says, you know, Dad, um, we, we heard what you said, and, and we actually got to talking about it. And we got to wondering, we got to wondering, why is it important to take out trash? And so we began to come up with reasons as to why it's important to take out trash, because honestly, Dad, if we fill up the trash can, it's going to start to spill out into the floor, and it'll spill out on the floor in the kitchen, in the bathroom, all those places we have trash cans. If we don't take it out, it's going to spill out. And sometimes we put food in the trash, and, and like bugs and stuff will come in there, and um, we really don't want bugs in our house, and, and so that's bad. And, and Dad, honestly, trash smells. It's, it stinks. So the more trash we have, it stinks. And so we, we found those reasons why it's important to take out the trash. And then we thought, well, how do people take out the trash? Well, some people have, you know, they carry out the bags to the street and they lay it out there and a truck comes by and pick it up. Some put it in those big containers and they roll that out to the street and the trucks pick them up. Dad, some people burn their trash. Did you know that? So we, we thought of all this and then we thought, man, this is important. People need to know about this. And so we formed some small groups in our neighborhood <laughs> to, to talk about the importance of taking out the trash and, and why you should take out the trash and how you do it and all that. Well, son, did you take out the trash? No, but we know all about it. Mm. That got me. That example, that's us. When we come in here, we hear the word of God each and every week. If we don't do it, that's what we're like. That's convicting. James tells us that blessing comes from knowing and doing the word of God. So we must be good listeners. We must avoid selfish anger. We must humbly accept the word. We must take action. Number five, we must control our speech. Uh-oh. Verse 26. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. In this verse, it's important to know that when it says, if anyone considers himself religious, religious here means genuine faith. So if anyone considers himself to have genuine faith, he must have a tight rein on his tongue. The way we talk reveals a whole lot about our relationship with Jesus. James once again comes back to speech, and this time he's not just telling us to be quiet, but he's telling us to be careful how we speak. Be careful of what we say. And this, again, is super convicting to me. I'm not, I'm not sharing this with you because I've mastered it. <laughs> I have not mastered it. For the 40 years that I've been on earth, I've had to watch what I say. Sometimes I'll even make an excuse. I don't know if you've done this. I'll say, you know, I'm just an outward processor. I need to talk through all the things that I walk through. That's how I do it. And that's true. My wife is much more internal. She'll, she'll think through it and then speak. Not me. I'm just going to say it all at once. All right. And if I'm, if I'm upset about something, I'm going to say that. All right. And so I could, I could say, you know, this verse doesn't really apply to me because of my personality. Mm. Are we guilty of that? This verse does apply to me even though I'm an outward processor. 
I have to have a tight rein on my tongue. Now, in this day and age, I think it's more than just the things that we say. This is about to get really uncomfortable for some of you. It's more than just what we say. It's the social media posts that we make. There were no less this week, I counted them, than three times where I typed an entire post on my phone and I was about to hit send. But I thought, you know what? This is not, this is about me. This is showing some selfish anger here. And I know if I post this, it's going to stir somebody up. So you know what I did? I didn't post it. Now, I don't always do that. Sometimes I goof up and post the wrong thing. And I, I do believe that if I'm talking about the Dallas Cowboys and I'm angry about that, I could post that. All right? I could post that straight up and not have to worry about that. All right? But we have to watch what we say and we have to watch what we type on social media. All right? Because let me tell you something, that is there for the rest of time. It's somewhere. Somebody can find it. I follow some accounts on Twitter that their whole thing is they go back seven, ten years and grab posts from people that they made at that point in time and post them as soon as they say the exact opposite of whatever that post says. That's what they do. It's there. It can be found. We must have a tight rein on our tongue both in what we say and in what we post. And so when I think about that, I'm like, well, how do I control my tongue then? And, and the only answer is that you have to be someone that's walking with God. That's it. You have to have humbly accepted the word. You have to have been willing to be a good listener, to not be angry, to take action. That's the only way that we can control our tongue. So no matter where you are in your relationship with God this morning, Controlling your speech more effectively is critically important. So I want you to think about that. Sixth and final thing that James tells us, we must practice genuine faith. Verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Genuine faith, faith that is pure before God. So what is faith that is unpure before God? I think that, I wanted to know that. It's usually marked by two things. You're self-deceived, means maybe you're a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word. Maybe you think you know a lot. Or maybe there's some pride, selfish pride or religious pride, whatever it might be but you're deceived in that your faith is good just because of what you know. And then forgetfulness, choosing to forget or discard what God has told us. That's faith that is unpure. So what is faith that is pure? Well, it's marked by two things as well. This verse tells us that it is helpful. It's full of self-control. The example that James uses here is that it's helpful to widows and orphans. But honestly, the call for us is to be helpful to those that are most vulnerable. That's how we put God's word into practice. So it's helpful, and then James tells us that it is holy. It's not spoiled by worldliness. And I just want you to know, I think it's really important for us. I, I grew up in church. I, I mean, from the time before I was born, I was in church. 
And so I am vulnerable because of the fact that I've been in church for so long to a faith that starts to drift towards uh, impurity because I kind of know the right answers. Uh, Yeah, I know. I've heard enough sermons to where I know what to say. But does my life really reflect God's Word? And I just want to say this morning, one of the things... If, if you are not in community, then you are vulnerable as well. You may be wondering, why is life group important to the fellowship? This is why. We want you to have genuine faith. We need to have people in our lives that can hold us accountable and that can say, hey, you know, I saw you do something that didn't feel quite right to me. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not in a life group or a discipleship group of some kind, that's why we have them. Is so that you have the opportunity to pour into a deep and pure faith that is helpful and holy, that's set apart. Faith that is genuine bears the fruit of the love of Christ. So I know I haven't done this passage justice, but so much meat in here for us today. I want to remind you, we must be good listeners. Listen so that you have an opportunity to minister to other people. Listen to what God says to you. We have to avoid selfish anger. If you're angry and that comes out, that pushes people away, doesn't it? Do you want to be around angry people? (laughs) I don't. We must humbly accept the word of God. Our lives are fully submitted to what God's word says. We take off the filth, take off those muddy clothes, and put on clean clothes of the word of God. We must take action. We cannot... Just be hearers of the word. We must be doers. Control that tongue. Lord, help me. Watch what you say. Watch what you post. And then we must practice genuine faith. 